1: Des Island Discs on RTE Radio
0: 1. Today's visitor to the island is known to all of you. An award-winning journalist who has been RTE's Europe editor for 20 years and seen as the most informed person on the subject of Brexit. It's a pleasure to welcome Tony Connolly. And Tony, I've always felt you're the hardest-working journalist in RTE. The, ne- <laughs> the never-ending Brexit <laughs> I d- I story <laughs> Confirm
1: that. it. <laughs> But based in Europe, is there such a thing as a typical day or a typical week for you? Well, I suppose Brexit gave more structure to, uh, to to my week. I mean, before Brexit came along, um, you had a lot of big stories like the refugee crisis, you had the, the Greek debt crisis, you had the Irish bailout, and these tended to kind of consume all of your time and energy. But before that, you know, I could be doing an awful lot of different things. But with Brexit, uh, you know, since the referendum happened, I just got more and more involved in reporting it. And it meant I was travelling less because so much of the action was in Brussels. Um, and that meant that you know, I could just work as a TV and radio reporter, but also I started to build up more and more reporting online on the RT website where you could take time to explain a lot of the complexities of this. So um, it, it has meant a bit more structure in that I'm, I'm calling people in the mornings and then if there are ministers coming over, obviously before the pandemic, you know, you, you'd, you'd have set piece interviews to do. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's been one of those issues that has really dominated uh, my working day and working week uh, going back to 2016 now. And prior to that, did you travel a lot? Well, I was traveling a lot more, yeah. I mean, I was traveling quite a bit for the refugee crisis. I was in the Balkans quite a bit following the, the path of refugees coming in from the Middle East and moving up through the Balkan route into, into Europe. And then with the Greek crisis, uh, I was uh, in Athens an awful lot over a two- or three-year period. Uh, then you had the the conflict in Ukraine and Crimea, and those were areas where we did put quite a bit, few resources uh, from the newsroom and so I was able to go there for you know prolonged periods of time um, but before all that the traveling was very uh, you know uh, diverse there would be lots of reasons why you would suddenly have to drop everything and go somewhere very quickly um, whether it's a plane crash or a terror attack somewhere like in Paris Um and you had to be sort of ready to spring uh, and just get to the story quickly to try and get on air as quickly as you could. Yeah, I mean, there must be huge stress involved in that. Would you bring a cameraman
0: with you or would you organise a cameraman, say, in the Balkans, for instance?
1: Well, normally I'd have a cameraman with me and I work with one particular cameraman a lot. Uh, his name is Bram Verbecca uh, and we've become great friends over the years. You know, you do spend a lot of time with another individual in the field uh, more <laughs> time with your wife sometimes we start to finish each other's sentences <laughs> uh, and uh, and you know you do you do uh, rely on someone that you work with uh, very closely and they understand what you need and of course he would edit my pieces as well so that becomes a uh, you know a very important relationship
0: and then but there's the deadlines that you have and and you're wanted by so many news programmes from early in the morning to late at night. Deadline, deadline, deadline. Do you ever find that stressful?
1: Absolutely, yeah, it, it can be stressful. I mean, there are certain days, especially with Brexit, there are certain big key moments, uh, you know, where everything's coming to a head and there's an awful lot of demand for, for stuff like first thing in the morning, it's Morning Ireland, and then, you know, last thing, it might be... Um, the the nine o'clock news or even the late debate sometimes uh, on radio. Um, But in between, you know, because RTE, you know, was seen as a, you know, a very reliable source of information on Brexit, I would be getting a lot of demands from uh, British uh, broadcasters, the BBC, uh, sometimes Newsnight, Uh, And then, you know, uh, other European broadcasters as well, because I broadcast in English. So that makes me, uh, you know, a a good person to go to in a hurry. And, you know, I I started to acquire a bit of authority on the Brexit issue. So, you know, I just became this go to person on days. You know, you're getting so many requests and you don't like to turn them down. But, uh, you know, at at a certain point. Obviously, RT comes first. Let, let me just stress. Serves <laughs> you
0: right for learning so much about it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now you'll be choosing music in this program, and music is very important in your life.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's been very important from from childhood. I've got very strong memories of of songs that's filtered into my consciousness as as a you know even as a toddler. And then, you know, growing up in Derry, sort of early 70s, 70s, then 80s, I was at, at university, there was always music. That I was collecting, listening to. You know, I, I played violin at, at school, and then I, I picked up the guitar, and I've I've played guitar for for years, and I'm I'm in a band here in Brussels. Are you? Um, so <laughs> yes, <yeah, so laughs> when when I can find the time. What what's the uh, what's the band called? The the band is called the Murrays, uh, which is a long story. Uh, none of us are called Murray, but uh, <laughs> that that that's what we're known as. It's it's a it's a four part uh, acoustic and violin. Combo. Uh, there, there's a, a Welsh uh, guy, uh, a Spanish woman, and uh, uh, an English Italian woman playing the violin. Fantastic. And, and we get together to play uh, sort of songs that, that lend themselves to harmonies and, and sort of acoustic sounds. Uh, so uh, that, that's my own uh, product placement <laughs> <laughs> out of the way there. Do you play publicly? We do, yeah. We started playing in people's houses uh, just for parties and so on, yeah. and then we, we've been playing in pubs and and clubs and stuff. But the, because we're all travelling and, and, and very busy with work and so on, you know, we might get to play two gigs a year. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's it's but it's it's something we. I mean, they all come to my house on on a weeknight and we yeah. we, we, we have dinner and we practice and it's uh, it's great. You know, I, I it just keeps you playing, um, yeah. which is the most important thing. I'm now going to head to Brussels and look seek out the Murray's but <laughs>
0: but anyway so that's fascinating but let's get back then to those those childhood musical memories and one of them is is one of your first choices.
1: Yeah I mean I was thinking about uh, what song was very evocative of childhood and obviously there were many and it's it's uh, I'm sure other guests you've had on complain about having to yes, re- you? you know re- reduce it to three tunes <laughs> but uh, there's a song that I always think about and, and remember and every time I hear it today still it brings back my my childhood um, and especially the rel- relationship I had with my older brother Stephen who was five years older than me and he was kind of a musical mentor so he guided me through all of the radio stations he would listen to uh, like Radio Caroline, the, the pirate radio station on the boat, uh, Radio Luxembourg, then obviously uh, 2FM when it uh, came along, RT2 um and he explained to me what the songs were about and then he was coming home from school with you know all the big albums of the early 70s like pink floyd led zeppelin genesis uh, horse lips but this song in particular was one that um he talked me through and there was something so evocative about the song the there's a very distinctive piano figure in the middle of it and it's got a lot of stirring strings. Now, at the time, the narrator is talking about an older woman. Um, now, when I was older, I realised what the song was actually about. <laughs> <It> was about... <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, he he. The, the the boy. You know, he, so w- the woman takes the boy's hand, and he sees the sun rise as a man. Uh, nothing is spelled out graphically, yeah. but you know, we all know what happened. Uh, mm. But when I heard it as a, as a as a, a, a young boy, I I didn't know any of that, and just the the imagery just seemed to really uh, strike me in some way.
0: So it's summer the first time, and Bobby Goldsboro.
1: Des's Island discs on RTE Radio One.
0: That summer, the first time Bobby Goldsbred the choice of today's guest, Ortiz Europe editor, Tony Connolly. So, Derry, as a young guy,
1: did the troubles impact on your life? Yeah, I mean, it it did, um, in that there was a a lot of conflict going on. Um, I mean, I remember I arrived in Derry when I was uh, six years old. We'd we'd lived in Port Stewart, which is a small town on the coast um, until then, and... A few months after we arrived, Bloody Sunday happened, uh, which is, you know, a very traumatic experience for everybody. And then right through the 70s, it was a never present uh, phenomenon. You know, bombs going off, uh, you know, riots, police checks and searches. You know, we were never at the sharp end of it. You know, I'd have to say that uh, straight up. But, you know, we knew people who were killed. Um, Guys in my class went on the run. Uh, and you know th- there were some fairly very difficult times. I remember going into a f- sports shop when I was a kid with my dad and brother uh, to get a football, and a-, a few minutes after we came out of the sports shop, there was a massive explosion, and the the, the building we'd been in had been bombed, um, and that really sort of uh, s- struck home. And but you internalise a lot of that as a child, and it becomes normal. Um, but you know we were lucky in that we were never exposed to. Um, you know that the the hard edge of this, uh, like a, none of my family was was hurt or injured or killed, uh, thankfully. Yeah, your second musical
0: choice is interesting. I couldn't attempt to pronounce it. Uh, tell us the story behind
1: it. So after I left uh, university in Dublin, I, I was um, you know pretty keen to get into journalism. I'd applied for the NIHE, uh, as it was then, a graduate journalism course in in Dublin. It's now DCU, and I didn't get in. I think there were twenty five places for graduates so I went to London to, to, to work um, and I was, I was working on building sites and I was I was temping for quite a while uh, uh, trying to get into journalism or get into a journalism course somewhere and there was one temping job that I had with a law firm in Holborn and basically they sent me down into the basement for a week and in the basement there were racks upon racks of legal files and there were two um, fresh racks of of shelves that had been brought in. And my job was to shift all of these files. I mean, there are probably miles of these files uh, up uh, to shelves, if you like, physically lifting them off shelves, walking a few feet and putting them on other shelves. It took me the whole week. And they said to me, this is gruelling, but we'll give you a radio uh, to listen to while you're doing this, so uh, I was listening to Capital Radio at the time, and I think Jeff Beck was on, the guitarist, uh, yeah. talking about music, and he said I've come across these Bulgarian singers, uh, female a cappella Bulgarian singers, and he said it's just mesmerising, and they played a tune um, on the on the radio, uh, and I was. Absolutely awestruck and mesmerised by this music, I was standing perfectly still, surrounded by thousands of legal files in Holborn in in the late 80s in London, and I had to kind of write down the name of this. Um, and it was a musicologist who discovered this tradition of female a cappella singing in uh, in Bulgaria, in the mountains of Bulgaria, and it was a performance. it was the album was called uh, "Lumister mystere de des voix bulgare, the The Mystery of the Bulgarian Voices. Uh, and this is a a tune uh, called uh, "Polenjala et Todora." Uh, I probably mangled that, mm-hmm. but uh, this was a song that really haunted me, and i I've, I started listening to them then, and uh, I, I, I still do to this day. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. I don't know how to
0: back-reference that, Tony. That's (laughs) the choice of Tony Connolly, RTE's Europe editor, and a Bulgarian uh, female group, and I don't want to butcher the name either. Tony, so your your interest in music is very widespread, but your interest in European people, you have travelled all of Europe. Do you stereotype people? (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, um, that, that that's that's a great question, uh, and I, I did spend a couple of years researching the whole issue yeah. of stereotypes. Yeah. Um, I, I published a book yeah. with a New Island uh, called "Don't Mention the Wars: A Journey Through European Stereotypes," and I suppose you know, uh, like Irish people, I think. If you're a certain age, I mean, you grew up listening and following a British television, British comedy, Faulty Towers, um, you know, Mind Your Language, a lot of uh, comedies that dealt in stereotypes. And clearly, there's a bit of a backlash to that now, as, we, as we've seen with the Faulty Towers uh, revision. Um, and I, I kind of felt that it would be good to explore where these stereotypes came from, Treat it as a kind of a journalistic exercise. How do we get these notions of the French or the Italians or the Germans and try and put them to the test? So, over a two year period, I, I was traveling to 10 different countries uh, to explore where these stereotypes came from and to talk to people there, and often to talk to expats who lived in that country to say, Well, you know, what do you think of mm-hmm. Germans now that you've been living here? And it was funny, you know, that often people would say, you know, these are stereotypes, they're completely untrue. But then as they started describing their own experiences of encountering Italians or Hungarians or Germans or whatever, they would actually say, do you know what? (laughs) There's a a kernel of truth in there somewhere. (laughs) But, you know, a lot lot of stereotyping is down to, you know... uh, Rivalry between tribes, between regions, between nations, and uh, but it was a, it was a great experience for me mm. to to get off the beaten track a bit and and to to talk to real people about uh, about what it means to be Finnish or, or Swedish or Danish. Um, it was a great experience.
0: Like if if an Irish person was to say to you, given your broad experience of Europe, where would you settle if you weren't in Brussels or Ireland? Is there is there a particular country that would appeal to you?
1: Um, well, I spend a lot of time in Italy because um, I have a son, Matteo, who lives in Rome and I, before the lockdown, I would go to Rome every every two or three weekends mm-hmm. and he would come to Brussels. So I've got to know Italy very well. And Italy is kind of a maddening place because it is so seductive in terms of the food and the wine and the physical landscape uh, and, and the, the villages and, and the, the castles and... That whole side of it, but it, Italian political culture is, you know, pretty dysfunctional. Rome is gorgeous, but you turn your back on the monuments and it just doesn't work as a city. You know, uh, the, the the services have been crippled by corruption and, uh, you know, there was a mafia involvement as well. So Italy has that double-edged appeal um, but I've got to know Spain a bit as well. I mean, go, you know, places like Barcelona are just wonderful to visit. Uh, the last time I was there was for the terror attack. So you go to these cities and you know, people say it's a great job because you're traveling around. But often you, you're there and you're straight into work sure. and then you're gone again. Or if you you might go to a conference or, or a summit meeting and you're you're in a hotel and a conference center and then you're gone yeah. uh, back to Brussels. But yeah. Um, I do miss uh, Ireland, I must say, in in terms of the, um, especially these days, you know, because I haven't been able to travel home uh, since before the lockdown, but there's probably a mist of nostalgia there uh, brought on by uh, sheer absence, but...
0: And is it is it the, um, is it family you miss people or do you, do you miss the Irish way of life? Or, I, or I miss
1: yeah, I miss all of those things. I mean, I I think I miss the sea a lot. Um, I mean, I grew up in Derry and we had Donegal and Shoun just on our doorstep, and you know I've got to know uh, Connemara and Mayo and you know West Cork and Dingle, all of those places. And you know, Belgium has a coastline, but when you're there, it's it's you know, it's fairly built up. It doesn't have that wild. Character and that's something you do miss. Um, uh, my wife is Danish and, and she says exactly the same thing because you know she's uh, she loves the sea uh, from from a Danish perspective. Um, so yeah, I, the sea I'd say is is the, is the big thing I miss most. Okay, well listen, let's go to your third musical choice and it's a
0: poignant choice.
1: Yeah, so I, I talked a lot about uh, my brother Stephen um, growing up. Uh, he was my my mentor when it comes to music and I inherited so many of his musical tastes that uh, that really stood to me over the years and you know I stole all his records as well but um (laughs) But then you know he 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 went on to university and uh you know came back with great tales of music and you know he played the tin whistle and the boron and uh, was really steeped in in Irish traditional music um but he he died when he was forty he had cancer, and uh, that was just the year before I came to Brussels, so that was a very very tough time for the family um and but we were all there with him, and uh you know he he had a peaceful passing but we listened to so much music when in those final days and weeks and um, it, one tune always uh, would stand out during that period. And it's not necessarily a tune that he would have been crazy about himself. But he, was, he was a big Van Morrison fan, but it just seemed to capture that moment of loss and, you know, anguish over time passing. And the song is called Who Knows Where the Time Goes by Fairport Convention. OK, well, look, we're going to play out with that, Tony. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. I'd love to chat
0: for longer. Uh, continued success to you in your job. And Thank you very much. I, I look forward to um, hearing the Murrays play sometime. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, you'll get a ringside seat. <laughs> I can promise you that.
0: <laughs> well, thanks for joining us, Tony. And we'll thanks very much, Dez. It's been a pleasure. We'll play out with Tony's choice. Who knows where the time goes? Fairport Convention.
1: Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1.